All right. So check this out. We, um, we're in our third week, even though it probably doesn't feel like it. We're in our third week of this series called The God First Life. Last week, we kind of took a little break and we did our anniversary service, which was awesome. I just want to brag on you guys again. Uh, last week, as a one-year-old church, we celebrated our one year. Um, we, and it's not all about numbers, but here's why it's about numbers. Numbers are important because every number is alive, is a life. And, uh, and every life matters to God. Amen. And so last week as a one-year-old church, uh, we had the most people that ever came to a vertical church service. We had over 300 people here last week. Yeah. So yeah. Um, again, I say that just to say, uh, what an honor that we get to be a part of it, of what God's doing here. And it only reiterates how important it is for us to just stay faithful and stay committed and stay in prayer and series like this are so important. And so we started this series called The God First Life, and the idea behind it is at the beginning of the year, uh, everybody writes a resolution, and we have all these ideas and stuff, but the point is God's got to be first in everything that we do. The scripture promises, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. There's one pastor who I follow and kind of listen to his sermons. He said, he came out real controversial. He had this sermon called, uh, don't put God first this year. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, you know, what is he going to say? And what, what his idea was, don't put God just first, because we always say God and then family and da, da, da. God needs to be first in every category. We got to put God first in every category. And so what does family look like when God is first? What does your job look like when God is first? What does life look like when you put God first? And so we also talked about how um, over the next 21 days, we started back on the fifth on the, what does the next 21 days look like? Some of us entered into a time of fasting. Um, some of us just maybe carved out some more time for prayer, whatever it is in the first month of this year, the new year, what are we going to do that's going to put God first and, and, and sort of put us in a place to sort of pay more attention or, or to make sure he stays in first place? Because it's easy in all the distractions of the world to kind of let that get messy and get shuffled because we live in a culture that's very serious about distracting you, just always pulling you into this, that, or the other. And so I think it's a fitting series for this year. Today, I want to talk to you about the idea of the power of reaction the power of your reaction. Um, when you talk, in theory, in idea, all of us in this room would agree, yeah, I want to live a God-first life. I want God to be first in my life. I want to be an example. I want to show others how to be Christ followers. I want to live a God-first life. That part, everybody's in agreement. Yeah, yeah, I want to do that. But where separation comes in is when you're given the opportunity to, not, to, to react in a not-God-first manner, right? Um, it's just like, you know, when you're driving, you know, you're driving down the road, you're like, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a, I want to be nice to people. And then you get cut off. And then all of a sudden your reaction, I actually had it happen to me this week. And um, we were getting ready to pull into somewhere and this guy just, it was the yellow light and he just had a big old plow on his truck and this huge truck. And he just felt like, you know what, I'm, I'm going. And we were already in the intersection. And, uh, and anyway, and so I stopped and was like, okay, cool, it's cool. I just had to run in and pick something up. But in the car, I'm sitting there like, I wonder where that car went. I'm going to find that truck. I'm going <laughs> to go tell him. I'm going to tell him about the God first life. <laughs> so, so there's power. I really just wanted to witness. It had nothing to do with the incident. Only thing that stopped me is I had a vertical hoodie on. So I was like, oh. So if I had one of my old church hoodies. No, I'm just kidding kind of kidding a little bit. So. <laughs> um, so reaction, you know, that's the separation is like all of a sudden when real life hits us, 
you know, it's funny in our prayer time, we put God first life. It's like, you know, we put on our music and we like have this quiet time or whatever it is. You might be driving in the car and you put on your thing. It's easy to live like the holy God first life when you set the moment. But when you get out of the moment, you know, all of a sudden it's real life. And so what I love about scripture is it's so true and it's so real and it's so like, I love the crazy that they left in the scripture because it just helps us to relate to like, oh man, if I feel this way, they felt that way. Like if they could do it, I can do it. And so today is one of those stories for sure of this is a crazy story, but there's a lot of truth in it that we can leave here with. And so uh, I want to leave here knowing that part of living the God first life is paying attention to our reactions. Now, we're all going to mess it up this week. We're all going to respond wrong. Uh, amen. Somebody, amen. <laughs> like, holy bunch today. Like, I don't know about me. <laughs> Speak for yourself, pastor. <laughs> um, this morning, our power was out. I woke up, like, stubbing my toe and kicking things over. And I was like, God, why have you forsaken me? It's Sunday. <laughs> I need a hot shower, you know? Like, uh, so anyway, let's jump into it. You guys are like, just get to the word. <laughs> Matthew 26, verse 47. I'm going to read for quite a bit. Um, there's about five texts here. So Matthew 26, 47, it says, And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, had a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priest and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, whomever, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. So basically, Judas you know, had gone to the chief priest, basically gone to the government, basically gone to the authorities, and said, hey, uh, when I kiss Jesus, he's going to be the one that we're to seize. So basically, this is the sellout here of Jesus with Judas. In verse 49, immediately when he went up to Jesus, or immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Verse 50, but Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Verse 51, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. <laughs> so that's where we are right now is the guy comes in and betrays him and Peter's there and sees it. And you got to remember, this is his rabbi, Jesus. This is his rabbi. He's been following him. This is his guy. Um, and this time, you know, they traveled together. I mean, this was it. This was life. And so here he sees his guy sell him out. Then they've captured Jesus. And so Peter's reaction, because that's what we're talking about today, his reaction was to quickly draw the sword. And in a quick moment, he, he takes a swing at the guy. Obviously, the goal wasn't to cut his ear off. The goal was to kill him. But he misses, really, and cuts his ear off. And here's the deal about this. If you were there and we were going to survey this, you would say in that moment, it looked like the right thing to do. In the moment, it probably felt like the right thing to do. In the moment, the circle that was with him, the people that were with him, he probably could have even got a few people to agree that that was the right thing to do. Somebody say amen. We have to be careful about the people that we surround ourselves with because it's easy to run with the group that will justify things for you. Yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, you should do that. No, you have the right to do that. And so right away, they would make a case for how you reacted quickly. And so I love, you know, that the scripture here, we'll, we'll kind of carry on, verse 52. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. All who live by the sword will die by the sword. Then you jump down to verse 56. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. 
So his guy, his rabbi, his, the best of the best, you know, they've been going together, they're running together, they're spending all this time together. He goes to defend him, which felt right, looked right, seemed right, probably could have got people to tell him it was right. Then Jesus says like, whoa, Peter, hey, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And obviously the scripture goes on and says that Jesus actually put the ear back on, um, on the guy. But listen, the point here is this, swords or quickly reacting is the easy way out. When things feel unstable, when, when in life you get tired or uh, you're offended or you're rattled or when the world just gets heavy, when those things are burdening on you, it's easy to quickly react in defense. It's easy to pull the sword and say, well, I have the right to because of this or because of this, I have to defend this. And it's quick to defend. But the scripture is saying, hey, if you live that way, you, you're going to die that way. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. And so being a person of quick reaction or reacting out of self or reacting out of human nature, uh, hey, if you live that way, that's going to be the same thing that takes you out is what the scripture is saying. Uh, there's a scripture where Jesus says, listen, I don't do anything unless I've seen my father do it or my father tells me to do it. So Jesus had this barrier of reaction that was like, hey, I'm going to take a second here. And before I react, before I just in the flesh or before I make a quick decision, I'm going to check in with the father, the God first life. I'm going to be like, hey, what, what, what should we do here? And because if you live quick human nature reaction, that's going to also be the same thing that takes you out. But pulling swords is the easy thing to do, right? I mean, that's the easy thing to do. It's the quick, easy thing to do. And we pull the swords and we want to dissect and tear up the thing that's become the rough road in our life. But isn't it interesting that Jesus said, those who put their hand to the plow and look back aren't fit for the kingdom, right? He said, those who put your hand to the plow and look look back. What is he saying? Those that start down a road and they're trusting God and they're going and they're going. And then when things get rough, they start to look back. That's, you're not fit. Why? Because he wants you to be a person who says, God first life, I'm trusting you, I'm plowing this thing. Somebody say amen. You with me? We say things like, well, um, it wasn't what I expected. And so now you react this way. You you sign up for something or you enter into something or uh, maybe it's a friendship or a business deal or you, you, you know, you become a part of a thing and you thought it would be this. But the minute that it gets rough or the minute that it gets hard or the minute that it isn't the way that you thought it would be, you're quick to cut it up. Like, ah, this thing, and you cut it up and you dissect it and you get negative and you get offended about it and you tear it all up. That's not the God first life. The God first life is, God, you've called me to this. In this, how do you want me to keep my hand to the plow and see this thing through? You've heard me talk about it often. Business people who start new businesses or start new jobs, they don't fail because their product is bad. They, they fail. They don't make it because a lot of people say they just give up too soon. They're so quick to just say, hey, this isn't working. Let's cut it off. And they, and they go and retreat. Oftentimes we say, well, they've hurt me or I don't deserve this or um, I'm better than this or I wasn't raised to be in it like that or um, this, that, or the other. We make all these excuses of why we're quick to cut what God's actually called us into. Um, and so it's important for us to keep our eye on the purpose. 56, verse 56, as I read, it says this, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. This scenario needed to happen in Jesus' life for him to follow through on the cross. 
oftentimes in our life, we'll get in situations where we feel like we're being jumped on or we're being arrested or we're being, and, and, we, and we feel like, but listen, sometimes in our life, those moments are the things that produce what we need to fulfill what God's called us to do. Are you with me? So I thought about this too. Since we don't really run around with swords, most of us, maybe a few of you, um, since we don't really live in that world, when Jesus said, hey, those who live by the sword die by the sword, I think he was talking about reaction, but I also think he was talking about our words. Because the scripture says this, life and death is in the power of the tongue. It's sort of another way of saying, hey, you know, life and death is in the power of the tongue, but also if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. The scripture says that the Bible calls God's word, check this out, the Bible calls God's word sharper than any two-edged sword. So the words of God are sharper than any two-edged sword. And if we're to be imitators of God, that means we are to use our words like swords. Are you with me? So if we're to be called like God, uh, and if life and death is in the power of our tongue, you could say that our words act like swords. We're one letter away from literally words spelling swords. You put the S on there and it says swords. Check this out. Life and death is in the power of the tongue is what the scripture says, Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. I've always been taught, and this is what I believe about scripture. What you speak is in your future. You frame your words by what you say. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so your reactions to things in your life, what you literally speak, there's life and death in it. So you can live or die by the power of your words. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's really extreme. I can't believe he's saying that. Um, I'm not like the word police that says like, you can't ever say you're having a bad day. You can't ever say you feel sick. You know, you get in Christian circles where instead of saying like, oh man, I'm sick, people say like, oh, I have symptoms. Of symptoms like what? I don't know what you're, you know, like, and, and listen, there are times that you have to speak right. I definitely believe that. You get in situations where you can't keep speaking negative over your life. I'm so sick. We're always so sick. My family's always been sick. I come from a sick family. My family's so sick, sick, sick. Like, jeez, <laughs> like, I'm going to go home and take a shower and drink a <laughs> bottle of uh, hand sanitizer. Like, I don't want to be around you and your family of sickies. Um, but you know what I'm saying? You know, those people just saying the same thing. Well, they, we, our family, we just, we have cancer. We just get it at the hospital. When we leave it the baby, they give you cancer. We just have it. You don't have to have it. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we believe that the cross has broken generational curses. And you can break those things through the power of prayer. Amen? So life and death is in the power of the tongue. What you speak, what's on your tongue is in your future. Literally, the, word, the scripture says that the world was framed by God's what? Words by his words. Well, if we're imitators of God, then our world is framed by our words. If we line them up with God, we can have what he says we can have if we speak right. And so Jesus is saying life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so when we're talking about reactions, how often do we react with our words? A lot of us, when we get in a situation, we're not quick to actually literally bust out a sword, but we're quick with our words, right? Yeah. I'm a pastor. I'm a communicator. I use my words. So that's my strength, if you will. That's my strength, my gifting. But it, your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. So because I can put words in order and communicate and craft words together, oftentimes in reaction and, and, and I can spit out really hurtful framed sentences. Everybody's like, oh, you're being too real. <laughs> Listen, our first year of marriage, my wife is really sensitive. She's 
She's very sensitive. And it's her gift. Like, she's very pure and sweet that way. But when we first got married, you know, we'd be talking or we'd be in this thing. And I would say something. All of a sudden, I'm like, where'd Jess go? She's in the bathroom crying. Why is she crying? What, what, what happened? What, what was that? It was because I didn't understand, like, that power in the tongue, like, the power of my words and how quickly you react. And so we don't bust out swords, like, whoosh, but often with our words, very often with our words, we draw swords. Amen? Like, who's with me? And so living the God-first life, it says, hey, how can we react different? in defense, or how can we react different in situations where we're using our sword or our words, if you will, to bring glory to God and to bring healing to a situation? Think that's good? Say it's good. So John 19 says this. Jesus continues to sort of operate this for us. John 19, 10. So he's been captured. He's brought to Pilate, and uh, it says this. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Jesus, Jesus is just standing there. He's before them. And uh, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and the power to release you? Verse 11, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. And so everybody's saying, well, that's kind of like hypocritical. Jesus just responded with his words. Yeah, but in the way that he responded was very, hey, don't, I do realize who you are and who we are. Like I realize who's with me, and I realize where you stand. And I, I think what's great about this is Jesus understands the score or the game, if you will. And so he's able to respond in a way that he's confident in his relationship with God or his Father. Therefore, he can react in a certain way. Oftentimes for us to react positively or the way that we should or the God-first way, we have to under, have an understanding of the word and where God is on our behalf to be able to react properly. So that's why Sundays are important. That's why worship is important. That's why studying at home. That's why Bible studies are important. Why? Because it helps you understand the real scenario. Amen? Verse 11. So Jesus answers that way. And uh, he basically, sort of in a roundabout way, says, look, I understand that the strength that you have has been given to you. Uh, another account later in the story in Matthew 26, 53, this is just another account of it in the gospel. Um, Jesus responds and says, or do you think that I cannot pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? So just this onslaught of angels to deliver him. So Jesus is reacting with his words, but he's not reacting in his sword, if you will. He didn't come from, I can get you with these angels. And don't you understand you're nothing without my father. He's the one in control. In a very controlled, meek way, Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to save my sword here. I'm going to live this out in a way that's God first, that I'm not going to be a reactionary person. Jesus is standing here. He had a comeback. He had a comeback. And he also had the right. And he also had an option. And it was very made out to be like he was the loser in this situation. But because of his confidence and his understanding of his calling, he was able to stand in that place and react the God first way. Somebody say that's good. Sometimes in your life, you'll have options and you'll have ways that you feel, oh, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm losing in this. I feel like I'm the loser. I feel like I'm walking. God, you called me to walk this way, but I feel like I'm the loser. I feel like, you know, I got that option that I could do this and I could really stick it to him and I could be right over here and I could do this thing, but that's not what God called you to do. So Jesus had options and he had all these and he still stood with what God called him to do. And so I love the surrounding too that he's in. 
this tough crowd comes and captures him. And tough Peter takes out the sword and tries to get him tough. And then all the, you know, the, the powerful pilot, and he's before them, and there's all these people around. There's this very tough atmosphere. And Jesus can stand in there and stay humble and stay meek because meekness is not weakness, which we'll talk about here in a minute. Matthew 5, 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The translation, one of the translations, it kind of translates to saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven or fortunate is the poor in spirit or privileged is the poor in spirit or established is the poor in spirit. Or this one says figured out or having figured out are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another translation for poor of spirit is desperate in spirit or relying on the spirit of God. So fortunate or blessed or privileged or established are the people who can rely on the spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, You jump down another verse and it says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Check this out. I'm almost wrapping up. We don't have an English word for the word meek. So we're going to, we're going to introduce it to ourselves. We're going to put this in our repertoire this week. Um, This word meek, we don't have an English word for it, but if you were to translate it, uh, most of us would translate meekness into like some form of weakness. Like, oh, he's just a really meek person, just like a, you know, that person over there is just a little meek person, but that's not what it is at all. It's actually one of the strongest words. The Greek word for it is propath, um, and what it means is it's a condition of mind or heart. Meekness is a strong demonstration of gentleness. And so meekness is actually a position or a posture of the heart that has been conditioned or worked. So we all have to work on meekness. So kind of talking about being reactionary or, or, or having the God first reaction. It's something that we have to condition. It's a thing that we constantly work on. It's not like, oh, boy, that person over there, they passed the test of meekness. They're good to go on meek. No, like it's something that we condition, but meekness is a strong demonstration of gentleness, not lacking power. It's mental strength under great control, not dominant, neither spineless. So it's this really incredible self-control or strength of the heart and mind, basically leaning on, you could say, The idea that, hey, God's got this under control. God's got my back. He knows the wind and waves, if you will. I can stand in this place not having to defend myself, not having to react, not having to jump, knowing that, hey, in this place of meekness, God is God. God is in control. And I can sort of sift through this and let God lead me through it, not on my own. Because so many times we want to do everything by our own might. Let me fix this. Like, hey, God, step aside for a second. Let me handle this one. No, no, you don't understand. I work here. I know how to do this. <laughs> like, no, like it's this, knowing that God has your back. And um, scripture says this. If you jump all the way down to verse 38, this is Jesus talking again. He said, you've heard it said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. So you've heard it said. Someone talks about you you go get them. You talk back about them. You've heard it said, someone lies about you, you go set the record straight. Someone cheats, somebody cuts you off, somebody, all those things, you go get them. You've heard it said, live that way. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But in verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to them also. What is it saying? I think it's saying don't live reactionary. Like have that time that like literally you can process reaction. Am I talking about being walked on? No, I'm not talking about being abused. Trev, you can come play in a minute. Uh, just, yeah, go ahead. Um, in closing, I want to make this part clear. I'm not talking about being walked on. I'm not talking about being abused. Like, well, you know, we should all walk in meekness and people should walk all over us and da, da, da. I'm not talking about that. But I'm also not talking about we should be, we should be this bold and we should, and we should be bold, but not arrogant, not reacting to everything. I think what really frustrates me is when Christians don't take the time to consider what's really happening in the situation. Um, some of you might have known it. Um, uh, so Ellen, this week, uh, there was a pastor who attacked Ellen and said that she um, promotes uh, gay and lesbian lifestyle and all this kind of stuff and really went after her. And then she responded on the show, and then the pastor responded again. And I'm not going to get into, like, the one side or the other of that. We honestly don't have time for it. But what frustrated me was watching all the Facebook comments as people posted it so people who have no connection or interest in the other person's life just attacking each other, just eating each other, just destroying each other. I'm like, no, this is not, this is not it. This is never how we're going to take our place in our communities and the cause of Christ and what we're called to do here on earth. So a lot of times we can be the Peter well, they're wrong and I'm going to be bold and I'm going to get my sword and I'm going to stand on a box with a bullhorn and I'm going to tell them how wrong they are and how hot hell is. People don't care what you have to say until they know how much you care, that whole thing. So when we talk about loving others towards God, that's what we're talking about. You got to earn the right to speak into somebody's life. Don't go on Facebook and start bashing them personally because you have a disagreement Put your sword away and let's love. Scripture says the greatest of these, greatest of love one another. Let's love each other. And the rest, I believe, will work itself out. We'll stand up for truth. We'll stand up for integrity and the things of God. And we won't compromise the Bible. But we're also going to love one another. Amen? So whatever, whatever happens, here's the catchy thing in it. Whatever happens to you in this, basically what Jesus is saying, if you get slapped, don't eye for an eye. Don't slap back. Why? Because what happens in those moments is whatever you do back, you've then become the evil that was done unto you. And it just breeds this evil and this ugly. And that's not how we want to live. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, again, you're saying, oh, you're confusing me, meekness and weakness. This place of weakness is a place of dependence on God. For God's strength is made perfect in dependence, in depending on God. In my place of identifying like, hey, God, I'm not, I'm not all that. I need you. Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in weakness in criticism, in needs, in persecution, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in your life, 
When you get to the point where you say, I'm done faking it, then you'll be made strong. When you quit lying about it and say, no, I got it under control. I can handle this. When, we, when you say, hey, I'm, giving, I'm, I'm done lying about it. I'm going to be honest about it. Then you're made strong. When you say, hey, I'm going to take the mask off or I'm going to admit, hey, I don't have it all put together. Then that allows Christ to come in and be made strong. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, didn't call down the angels, and stood before Pilate, allowing all things. Why? The scripture said, so that the prophet, so that the prophecies may be fulfilled, so that the call of God would come through on his life. I'm not saying be walked on. I'm not saying be abused. I'm not saying let all these bad things happen to you. What I'm saying is guard your heart, guard your reactions, because sometimes that rough road is actually the thing that leads you to where you're supposed to go. I love this. When you give your agenda away, God, my agenda, my way, when you give it away, God gives your agenda away, gives it away to happen. When you give your agenda away, like, God, I'm trusting you a whole, I'm not going to try to do this on your own. When you give your agenda away, God then can step in and make sure your agenda has a way. The thing he called you to do has a way. Amen. Won't you stand with me? just want to do one more thing before we leave. If you could all bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here this morning and you've heard us talking, of course, about the things of God and maybe it was either in the music or in one of our prayer times or something, you just felt God maybe tugging on your heart. Like, you know what? I need to make a change this year. I need to make the God first life the way that I'm going to live this year. If that's you and you say, I know I need to make a change. I don't like the way that I've been living. I want to do better this year. I want to make God, Lord of my life. The cool thing about that is you're in a room full of people that are pulling for you to do that and to make it. They may not know you, but they love you. So if you're here, you say, yeah, today I'm going to decide to make a change. I want to put God first in my life. I want to see him make a difference. I don't want to live reacting on my own and making my, pulling my sword and cutting up my life. I want to do things the way God's called me to. Here's what we're going to do. With nobody looking around, I'm just going to ask that when I count to three, if that's you, you want to make a change, I'll just have you raise your hand. When I count to three, I'll have you do that. Not going to have you come out of your seat, not going to have you come forward, not going to embarrass you in any kind of way. You're just going to raise your hand, and then we're all going to pray together as a group. But the scripture says that all, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your heart, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that's all you got to do when we pray. If you confess that he is Lord, Scripture says that you'll be on your way to heaven. Your sins will be forgiven. So I'll lead you in that prayer, and you'll stay in your seat. Like I said, we'll all stay as a group. But your life will be forever changed. That God-first life is the best way to live. So when nobody looking around, if that's you, right where you are, when I count to three, just put your hand up, and then I'll pray for all of us. One, two, three. Anybody in here? I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Don't miss your moment. What I believe is that God is alive and that he can change your every day. Your frustrations, your ways of thinking, your doubts, your fears, your pains. Literally, by praying this prayer, God can change your life today. So if that's you, if you haven't already raised your hand, just slip your hand up. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so all of us together, let's pray this prayer, knowing that God 
is going to make a difference in your life. Let's all pray this together. Say, God, today I choose you. I put you first in my life as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody say amen. Clap your hands for them. If you prayed that prayer, there's a the card on your seat. There's a spot on there you can check. I made a commitment for Christ or I made a recommitment for Christ. If you want to fill that out and leave that there, that's awesome. Not going to call you, not going to stalk you or put you in a class or anything like that. Just going to pray for you this week. Um, that's what we want to do is just believe for you, encourage you. You made a great decision. And uh, if you have any questions or want me to call you, um, you can put that on there too. And we'd love to connect with you and uh, help you in your next step. So awesome. For the rest of us, I'm going to pray us out one more time here in a minute. But for the rest of us, Let's think about this this week. Let's think about this this year as we're putting God first. God, how can you lead us and guide us in our reactions? We want to represent you well. We want to speak as you would have us speak and not by pulling our sword and reacting. Um, we don't want to cut things up that aren't supposed to be cut up. Amen. So let's pray that and hold on to that as you leave. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we know um, that you've called us to walk as you walked. Somebody who trusts his father wholly. Lord, help us to trust God. Help us to trust you. Help us to trust the words that you speak. Lord, guard our mouths because we know life and death is in the power of the tongue. Lord, help us speak properly about the things that are in our life because we do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.